Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. Let us read aloud from the reverse text. We're going to read aloud together Luke 15, 11 through 20. You'll see it on your listening sheet here. And we'll read this aloud. This then is the text for today. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and sent him to his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. May God bless the reading of his word. We have our typical reactions. And then we have our atypical reactions. Typical is the way things usually go. Atypical are those rare moments that just aren't us. Or let me say it this way. Typical reactions are those knee-jerk responses we give in the flesh. Typical reactions, they're of the self. Typical reactions don't consider God. They don't consider His goodness. They don't consider the gospel. Typical reactions are for the sake of instant gratification. This is where we begin, all of us. We begin with this typical human reaction to consume and overindulge. This is our typical way. This is the typical way of the United States of America is to consume and overindulge. Our flesh begs to be pampered at the expense of all else. And as much as anybody, we have been pampered here. We will avoid the slightest discomfort, if at all possible. 
You see, we, in the flesh, apart from God, always end up here. This is the typical reaction. Now, we can dress it up however we want to. We can justify it in all kinds of ways, but this is where we end up. All the same. Typical. Now, today, we come to a familiar text to to many of us, the text of the prodigal son. And as we work down through this text, we're, we're looking for those typical reactions, and we'll see them in the text, the typical ways that we often react. But we also need to take note, and this is one of the special cases with parables, is you note all of the atypical moments. And those atypical moments are the ones you need to take note of. You know, remember, as we've been working through these parables, as you read through these parables in Luke, one of the things you want to note as you're studying along with us is where does the parable turn absurd? Where, where does it no longer make sense? Where, where does it sort of ruffle your feathers when you get to a, a point in the parable? Because these absurd moments, these atypical moments, is where Jesus is trying to teach us something. These are the words and stories of Christ, and he says, you need to know this. And so where it gets absurd, where it gets atypical, that's where you need to take note and dive in. It's the typical stuff that just sort of moves the story along. Now, first, as we work through this story, we look at the money. And if you look at the money, this is all typical money. You have this father, he's done well, and you have a a son who wants it. Now, this younger son, he's likely 17, something like that, maybe 18. But let's say he's 17 years old. And this 17-year-old comes up to his son, or comes up to his father and says, Father, I want all of my inheritance now. Now, is this typical or is this atypical? Because what would most every 17-year-old boy want? They want the money. Now, thankfully, some of us grow out of that, but he wants the money. And and he wanted all of the money so that he could feed the flesh because as a a 17-year-old, there were all kinds of things that he wanted. There were all kinds of things he wanted to overindulge in. And he says, Father, give it to me all and give it to me all today. You know, there are few people in this world more fleshly than a 17-year-old boy. And if you let us, we will lavish ourselves with anything that makes this world feel better. So our text tells us in verse 13 what happens when you give a 17-year-old boy all the money. Now, last week, if you remember we were talking about the lost coin, that was me. I was that 17-year-old boy, and I lost it all. This week, as we come to the prodigal son, the 17-year-old boy squanders it on loose living. That's the way the text describes it. And we're left to our own imaginations to what that means and what that could be that he squandered it on loose living. It's likely all you might think a 17-year-old would waste their money on. And we don't have a timeline here. This son, in complete disrespect of his father, takes his father's money and walks out of the house wide-eyed. And he's imagining this grand life in a completely different country, completely away from his family. And he's saying, this is going to be the best thing in the world. I'm not going to be around my father. I'm going to have all the money I possibly need. And I'm just going to run away as far as I can. You know, don't miss this, though. I mean, we, we hear this story, and we roll our eyes at how naive a 17-year-old can be. But every single one of us have lived this story. When we have claimed the promises of God, and then we run off and we do our own thing. We have turned our backs on God often. Walking out of his house just in, in glee, imagining our life as some sort of frolic through these fields of fleshly delicacies. 
We've all had those moments where we couldn't tell ourselves no, just like this wide-eyed 17-year-old. And when we refuse or when we can no longer tell ourselves no, the result is always the same. When you indulge the flesh, it will lead to bankruptcy. You lose it. You lose all of it. What this boy lost isn't going to be recovered. You were told in the story that the, the, the boy spends everything and he ends up in a field of pigs. All the decadence is, is corrupted. And so he's, he's left literally and figuratively unclean. And so, what's your typical response? What, what, what do we do in the flesh at this moment? What, what is the typical response of somebody who finds themselves sitting in the mud debating on, on whether or not they're going to eat the pig food? See, when you're at that kind of rock bottom, what's the typical response of folks? Because I'll tell you, in my line of work as the pastor of the First Baptist Church of San Antonio, I hear from people often who are, are sitting lost in a field of fleshly desires often. And I can tell you how most people respond. This is how most people respond. When they're sitting in a field, when they're covered in dirt, when they're filthy, and there's nowhere else to go, I can tell you how they respond. Most every one of them, laying in the pigsty, will inevitably spout anti-repentance. Because this is the typical response. I'll tell you, the typical response is people will splash in the mud, and then they'll just start moaning. And there, there's all kinds of things that come out of their mouths as they start moaning. This is, these are the things we say. We say things like, my dad never should have given me this money. Why would my dad do this to me? God, why did you let my dad do this? Look at where I'm sitting today. Can you believe my dad did this to me? Then it keeps going. Dad, you're, you're the one that drove me away. You kept me sheltered. I never got to see the world because of you. You're the one that did this to me. This is anti-repentance. This is the typical response when people find themselves sitting in a field of filth surrounded by pigs. They look out and they start pointing and they start blaming everybody around them. This is anti-repentance. You hear him. You can hear him too saying, I, I never in a million years ever could have known there was going to be a famine. How could I have known there were going to be food shortages? You look up and say, God, you knew there were going to be food shortages. Why did you let me get here? Why did you let this happen to me? And he keeps going. He said, all, all these, so I went to this di di distant country, and people were so nice, but, but they kept on. They kept putting stuff in front of me. They kept laying this out in front of me. Nobody would stop. They, they kept putting wine in front of me. They kept putting women, women in front of me. They kept putting parties in front of me. They wouldn't leave me alone. God, why wouldn't you let them leave me alone? I'm tired of them not leaving me alone. This, this is anti-repentance. You could hear him. He'd keep going. My brother is the worst. My brother has always been the worst. I had to get away from my brother. This is the typical response. People look at it and say, my brother is the worst brother in the world. I had to run. You don't understand how bad and how mean my brother was to me. This is anti repentance This is the typical response. See, did you hear it in those responses? These are the kinds of things the flesh comes up with. The anti-repentant. 
When someone is just sitting in their own filth and they cannot, for the life of them, take any responsibility. They will blame anyone and everybody that's ever come into their life. Nothing is ever my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault that I got into this big stuff. Dad, them, my brother, they, you don't know how bad I had. Now, the parable, though, takes a different turn. The parable takes us to the atypical. See, we don't find the, the typical human response in this, in this story. We get the first glimpse of the atypical in verses 18 and 19. You, you listen to the, the son. He begins to imagine repentance. He's sitting there and he's thinking. When we come to 17, he comes to his senses and he says, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger Then 18. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. See, the, the son here, he, he turns. It says he comes to his senses, and he turns from being lost and ignorant this lost and ignorant 17-year-old into this wise son who comes to his senses. And notice how Jesus is describing this here. Jesus is, is moving us out of that fleshly world into what it's like to experience Jesus Christ. And, and when you come into the presence and holiness of Jesus Christ, you, you begin to see things clearly. And, and this always begins, and the first step of that process of you seeing the world clearly is this turning of your attitude. And th this is the moment of repentance where you begin to see clearly the way this world works. And what Jesus is, is noting is you're never going to find your way out of the muddy field if you don't come to your senses in repentance. And the son begins to imagine this. You know, it says th this is before he's talking to the father, and he's imagining how this plays out. And, and he says... I'm the one that sinned. I, I'm the one that has, has messed all of this up. There's not anybody else. He said, I've sinned against my dad. I've sinned against God above. And, and, and I, I don't know what to do anymore. And he begins to realize that he was the problem all along. He can't blame his dad. He can't blame his brother. He can't blame God. This was left up to him, and he ruined it. And don't miss what happens in, in 19, too. It, it, it's, it's easy to miss in our translations. When in 19, so he comes up with a solution on his own. This was his solution. You'll, we'll find out later this wasn't God's plan. But he comes up with a solution on his own. He says, I'm, I'm going to be like one of the hired men. And, and the way this plays out, we probably need to think of it as the lowest tier of workers on the farm. So there were multiple tiers. You know, you have the family up here, and then, then you've got kind of one tier of worker that are, that are always there and always working. And then you've got another tier of there that, that are always there doing other menial jobs. And then you've got kind of a, a third tier below all of them that are kind of like day laborers. These are people that are on the outside looking in. And then if there's something extra that needs to be done around the farm this week, you call in the day laborer to come and, and fix it a couple days a week kind of a thing. And so this is the bottom tier of workers on this farm. And he says, I'm going to go in, and I'm just going to go to the bottom. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to be anywhere near my family. I just need to be able to see them. Whatever level is the bottom, I, I'm, I'm going to be there, and I'm willing to go to the bottom if I could just go home. 
He said, I'm going to stand along the fence with the day laborers who may or may not have a job to do today. If I could just get to my family, I'll take the worst job. In fact, the, the worst job in our family farm will be better than I can come up with myself. What he's saying is that the, 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 of all of the grand things that God does and all the grand things that God is, if, if we, whatever, whatever the lowest is, if I, could, if I could just get into the bottom rung, it'll be better than anything I could come up with myself. The, the purposes of God are far greater than the, the, the purpose of myself. And if I could just get one moment to see the Lord, all will be right. You see, this is repentance. Because our, our typical response is to go back and just tell her dad to make everything right. To, to go back and tell everybody, just forget that I was out, I'm back, let's make this right. That would be typical. But the parable takes us to the atypical, the holy. The son makes no demands. He just wants to be able to see home again. You know, this is as clear a picture of repentance as we have in Scripture. But let's, let's talk for a minute about how the, the father responds. And, and how, how does a, a typical father respond? You know, a, a father in the flesh sees his son walking down the road, dusty and dirty from his trip. His pockets are empty, nothing left to his name. Big percentage of the father's wealth has been wiped out. How does he react? How does, how does the father respond? Because as we work through this text, this is the absurd moment of the text. In fact, many scholars argue that this text ought to be called the forgiving father rather than the prodigal son. Because everything revolves around this, this father and, and the reaction of the father. This is what draws us in and would have been unfathomable to those around Jesus. You see, they, like us, would understand a typical father's reaction to be a sort of boiling anger. That's often how we would respond to this. And it could look in different ways. It could be this boisterous anger laced with cursing. Or it might simmer under the surface. It might be quiet and vindictive, forcing the son to sit at the farm's gate to think about what he's done from a distance. You see, there's all kinds of pain that a father can inflict on his child. And out of your imagination, we could come up with all kinds of things. Things that we've seen that are the worst of it. So it would be for this kid going home. But you know, that's not what Jesus describes. Jesus takes us to the atypical, to the holy. Jesus here gives us a glimpse of God. As I've been studying this week, and I've heard others saying similar things, there's, there's been many times this has been researched. And there's a couple of different studies, a couple of different papers that, that have gone back and, and, and tried to find out what would have been that absurd thing that was heard by Jesus' original hearers, talking to Middle Eastern peasants and talking to people that, um, or reading ancient documents. How would they have heard this story? And it seems almost all were shocked at verse 20, saying there's no way that a father runs. You know, Jesus tells us that while he was still a long way off, the, the father came running. 
Father takes off right for him. But elder statesmen don't run. CEOs don't run. Patriarchs don't run. They've gotten to the point so that people run to them. They sit back and let the world come running to their feet. That's the typical way. The atypical way here, the father in the parable takes off running like a kid towards the horizon because that's where his son is. You see, it's, it's, it's as if God is, is running after us this morning. And you get all of these verbs in verse 20, all of the action, all of the work, all of the intensity is bound up in, in, in a single verse here in verse 20 where God is just bursting forth with action. And all of it, you, you see him just kind of run towards the sun. The, the son takes one step of repentance and then the father feels for him. The father embraces him. The father runs to him. The father kisses him. See, we listen to the, the parable and hear the atypical nature of God. God is not like your father filled with boiling anger. God's grace flows out of his house in this wave of action that restores you. You know, it, it doesn't stop there. Amazingly, it just keeps going. And it, it, keep, it keeps going into this grand celebration. So the father runs out and brings his son home, and they celebrate as all they can. The father calls for a robe, a ring, sandals. And all of these things are a different way to say, you're home. All of these things, the, the ring, the sandals... The robe, these are, these are signs of the family. These, these are signs of the, of the hopefulness that you're, you're fully back into the family. Remember, the, the son was saying his plan was to, to stay out at the gate. I'm going to stay out there and be as a day laborer. When they call me in, I'll come do the one job that needs to be done today. But the father just ignored all of that and wrapped him up in a robe and said, you are my son. You're not going to stand at the gate. You're not going to stand out there. You're going to come in. You are family. You are mine. And Jesus is telling us, this is how God receives you this morning. He says, Jesus is saying, wipe away all of the guilt and forget your plan. Forget every way that you have promised to make it up to God. Because this is what we do when we find ourselves in filth, we come up with all of these agreements and we come up with all these debates in our head where we say, God, if you get me out of this, I'm going to do this. And, and we come up with a plan and we say, I'm going to do this and this and this and I'm going to make it up to God. And Jesus is saying, that's ridiculous. You could never make it up to God. There's no amount of jobs you could get done around the farm to make it up to God. And God said, just forget all of that. Your, your plan doesn't work. All of the ways you want to make it up to God are not going to work. There, there's only one way forward, and it's by the blood of Jesus Christ. And at his cross, you are taken care of. This has all already been covered. And, and Jesus is saying, just wipe away the guilt and be clean. Let your Father clothe you in the finest clothes of heaven. Because this morning, he is saying, you are my child. And in that moment, God turns the everyday into a holiday. It's interesting here as you, you work down through this, so, so the father calls for all of these things, the, the robe, the sandals, the ring. That's part of the family. But then he calls for the fattened calf. And what we need to know about this is this is completely atypical. You would only do this a couple of times a year to go and call for the fattened calf. It's like him saying, let's all of us put together the biggest holiday meal you can imagine. 
and let's celebrate together with this huge holiday meal. They say, and everybody invite your friends. Invite all the community. Invite everybody in, and we're going to celebrate together that my son, that my child has come home. Yeah, this line, he says here, bring the fattened calf, this line means we're declaring a holiday and we're inviting the whole community in. See, the father is not ashamed of his wayward son. The father is not ashamed that he has lost this part of the estate. The, the father is, is not ashamed of the things that he has been involved in. The father is celebrating his return. The, the father is, is reveling in this. And this is what you need to hear this morning. God is not ashamed of you. God, God is not ashamed of your past. God, God is not going to make you sit at the gate and wait. When you get up and you turn towards God in this moment of repentance, God is going to come running and celebrate with you. In fact, God is being patient and waiting on the day that he can bring all of heaven together to celebrate with you on your return home. See, heaven's going to rejoice. The angels are going to sing when you finally turn around and come home. You've already lived the typical life. Why not let God show you the atypical life, a holy life built on grace and celebration? Why can't we together this morning give up our excuses? Why, why can't we give up our attempts to make it up to God? Why, why can't we come together and give up the shame of our past? Because God has in Jesus Christ. That's what the cross was about. And because Jesus Christ has been crucified and resurrected, God is ready to celebrate He's ready to, to jump up and down and run to you and celebrate your return. You see, God's ready to celebrate whenever you are because all the pain and all of the shame and all the sin has already been taken care of. He's not ashamed. Christ bore that shame on the cross so that you could come home. The work has been done. If only you would turn around Come and celebrate. Let's pray together. Our Father, we want to celebrate with you. We want to rejoice in your goodness. So, Lord, this morning, would you help us move past the shame and the guilt? Lord, would you help us to leave that at the cross and walk in the forgiveness that you've offered us to be made clean and pure and holy, to receive your mercy, and to walk with joy because we know you and we're a part of the family of God. So we pray that your, your spirit would move this morning and speak to our hearts in this way. Lord, show us the truth. Show us the power of the atypical of the holy. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.